0: You're listening to the Podcast of the Branch in Ashland, Virginia. I don't know too many people who really like to go into battle. It can be a scary thing, especially if you don't feel prepared, if you don't feel strong enough, or if you feel your resources are lacking. What if there was someone who fought for us? What if there was someone whose might and power we could rely on without having to rely on our own? And then, what if I told you that there is someone who does just that? In 2 Chronicles 20, we see a portion of the account of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He hears about a vast army coming to attack him, and instead of panicking, he looks to the Lord, and he's assured that God will fight the battle for him and his people. In looking at his story, there's lots we can learn for our own story. Have you ever had somebody fight for you, somebody go to bat for you, or advocate for you. Uh, There are a couple of times in my life I can think about um, people who have done that for me. I'm the baby of my family. And so um, not only am I the youngest sibling of of only two, but I'm also the baby of all the cousins too. And um, I've got cousins who are like my in-law's age. So um, that's the big span. And and I, so my mom was, like, fiercely protective of her baby. Even when I got taller than her, I was still her baby. And um, I m- we moved to the neighborhood that I grew up in when I was, you know, just a little over a year old. And I was the baby of the neighborhood, too. And um, before I was riding a bike, I had, you know, this was the 70s. So, like, we didn't have all these fancy motorized scooter things and whatever for for kids. I didn't have one of those plug-it-in Jeeps, you know, or whatever. I had the things that you propel with your legs, you know. So I had this little orange motorcycle with with wheels that were wide enough that it wasn't going to tip over anytime soon, you know. I probably still managed to tip it over. But but anyway, this was the thing that I had before I actually rode a bike. And uh, <clears throat> I was I was on that in my driveway and the neighborhood bully came down and somehow or another he had picked it up and he knocked me in the head with it so needless to say three or four little old little jonathan went inside and cried and and my mom i mean it was like you know flipping a switch as soon as you messed with her baby she was like fired up so she came outside and she grabbed my hand and and i could feel that you know pull you know when moms get mad like they're dragging everyone with them so she Grabbed this orange motorcycle. She grabbed my hand and we walked all the way down the street to the bully's house. And uh, man, she knocked on the door. I thought she was gonna put a hole in it when she was knocking on it. And she just gave it to the the bully's mom. I don't. I don't. I think he was hiding in his room at that point, or he was causing havoc somewhere else. But. But man, mom was so mad and, and I just, you know, I watched the face of, of the mom of the bully and she didn't really do anything. And I, I don't know how my mom felt after that. I, the only thing I can remember is that she was fired up and ready to go to war for me at that point. And you know, that really set a precedent for me because there were multiple times in my formative years that I can remember mom going to bat for me, that she was fiercely protective of of her little baby boy and that she would do whatever it took to make sure that that I was protected. Over the years, I've had uh, some friends, too, who have been incredibly loyal, incredibly protective of me, and, and I think about what that has made me feel like in my own life in regards to being protected. When you know that somebody's got your back, yeah, I don't know about you, but for me, it changes everything. It, it makes me realize that I can go into situations, not, not antagonistic, but I can go into situations with much more confidence than I would if I were going alone knowing that I had that in my mom, knowing that I've got that in other people, it was, uh, it was an incredibly comforting thing. And I wonder if all of us have ever felt that from someone, whether it's a parent, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a relative, a friend, or whoever it is. You know, life can be incredibly difficult, and it can be hard for us going into certain challenges in life, do we realize that we have somebody who goes before us and who goes with us and who fights for us? Even in our battles, those battles aren't fought alone. In fact, God tells us in his word that he fights for us. I read from Exodus 14 earlier, and we're going to be looking in... um, second chronicles today to look at an account of god really showing this to his people that he would really fight for them so if you have a bible you can turn over to second chronicles chapter 20 just a a little bit of history too because i i think it gives some context and it's important for us to have a little bit of understanding of the kingdom of israel the uh The kingdom of Israel started out as one kingdom and because of disobedience and not listening to what God had said, those kingdoms divided and there was the northern kingdom which remained Israel and then there was the southern kingdom which became Judah. And if we go to the Bible and we see the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles, the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, there's a literal chronicling of the different kings that led each of those nations. It goes through the kings of Israel, and then it goes through the chronicles. It's actually a really fascinating thing. An exercise that I did at one point was going through and just writing down the the parallel kingdoms and the kings that were uh, kings over them. And, And as is the case with, you know, typical politicians, which kings were, um, there were some really good ones, and then there were some really not so good ones. And uh, more often than not, in the kingdoms of Israel and the kingdoms of Judah, um, they, there weren't really good kings. You know, we talk a lot about King David. We might mention Solomon. If we know Saul, we know that he had a sordid history as well. But uh, the the good kings of Israel and Judah were few and far between. But today we're looking at an account of somebody who was actually a really good king, and his name was Jehoshaphat. Um, If you have um, a Bible, you can turn again to 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 17 through 21 actually give the account of King Jehoshaphat. Uh, and so if you want more context, if you like history, you can read those chapters around it. But as we read through this, where we come to, the snapshot right here in Second Chronicles chapter 20, is that there's an army that's coming, uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, are coming And Jehoshaphat, who's the, the king, is being told that this vast army is coming to attack you. And that's where we pick it up in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a kind of hefty chunk here that we're going to read, but, but hold, hold steady with me. I, I promise it'll be worth it. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the Dead Sea, it's already in Hazazan Tamar, that and En-Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and said, Lord, The God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before you, your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face with this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will. Will be with you. The first thing, and this is where I think we see the difference in the kings of, of Israel and Judah, is that the first thing that, that Jehoshaphat does when he hears this alarming news, he doesn't panic, he doesn't freak out, he doesn't start like mustering the troops and saying, hey, how do we do this? He calls a fast. Like, he, he says, hey, we're, we're going to stop you know, usually, you know, we just came through uh, the the season of Lent, which a lot of people will fast during the season of Lent. It's not so that we can say, hey, I'm going to put this on social media because I'm fasting from, or maybe we're fasting from social media. Whatever it is, we do that so that we can focus on something else. And that's exactly why Jehoshaphat called for a fast. He said, we're going to fast and we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to eliminate distractions and we're going to do whatever we can because in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of the trouble that we're facing, we're going to go and face the Lord. And then he prays and he prays in front of everyone. He, um, he, and his words here are captured. And there's a few things that I think we can see in his prayer. The first thing is this. He acknowledges who God is and what he's capable of. You see what he says? Their power and might are in his hand, are in God's hand. The second thing is that he acknowledges how God has worked for their ancestors. And over and over again, I feel like I say this a lot, but but it's important for us to remember that not only acknowledging who God is, but acknowledging what he's done for us. And that's that's what Jehoshaphat does right out of the gate. But then the third thing that he says is this. He acknowledges that he's not deluded at all. There were no delusions that life would be trouble-free. You know, and I try really hard to make sure that that never, when I stand up and talk to people, that I'll never say, hey, come follow Jesus and all your troubles will be gone. You're going to have the most carefree life and everything's going to be, you know, like Saturday morning cartoons. And... And I appreciate Jehoshaphat's prayer because he understood that. He knew that just because they were children of the one true God, that that didn't mean that there was no trouble in their life. So he acknowledged that, hey, trouble may come. And he knew that it would come. Some some of it would be judgment because of things that they had done. Some of it would just be like life. And I think all of us have experienced that. We've experienced that where some of the trouble that we get in life, it just happens because we live in a broken and sinful world. Some of it may be judgment. But no matter what, we still know that there will be difficulties in life. And fourth, the fourth thing that he said in his prayer, when trouble came, they would stand in the presence of God. They'd cry out to him, and they would know that he would hear them and save them. You know, he knew with such confidence that, hey, the moment trouble comes, instead of taking this into matters into my own hands, I'm going to go before the Lord. I'm going to stand in his presence, and then I'm going to wait because I know he's going to hear me, and I know he's going to save me. And then finally, he acknowledged that they, they had no power, and they didn't know what to do, and they were looking to God. And, and honestly, those last two are probably the hardest things in the world for me. Coming to the place where in the midst and in the face of difficulty in life, we say, you know what? God, I have no power over this. I have no strength. I can't do this. I need you to fight for me. I don't know about the rest of you, but that's a hard thing for me to do. And I think these prayers, this prayer that he prays is, is not insignificant. Insignificant. You know, it's funny to me, as I talk to people, too, about prayer, how the moment that people talk about praying out loud, everyone, like, freaks out. And they say, oh, like, hey, can I get someone to volunteer to pray for me? It's like, all of a sudden, you know, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. Everyone's going to hide because nobody wants to pray out loud. And then I look at prayers in the Bible, like Jehoshaphat's prayer, and I'm like, hey, you don't have to make up your own prayer. Like, just go and take his words. Like, you're not plagiarizing. Just take it. Hey, I know this really good prayer by a guy named Jehoshaphat. I'm going to pray that because I don't feel like I can come up with the words myself. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. What would happen if we started modeling some of our prayers around some of the prayers that are written down for us in Scripture? Man, that would be great. I'd love to be a part of that kind of prayer meeting instead of the prayer meeting like, Oh, Lord, thank you. For all you've done for me. I mean, we've got those phrases, right? But, like, this is an amazing prayer. And then, after Jehoshaphat finishes praying, God sends this man. Jehaziel to him. And you're all glad as I read that that I was the one reading, right? Because nobody ever likes to read the Old Testament because it's full of these names that no one can pronounce. But it's interesting to me, God sends this man Jehaziel to him and the the name Jehaziel means God sees. It's the thing in scripture is that all the time names were significant. And it, it means something that in the midst of Jehoshaphat and all the people of Judah praying and saying, God, we need you to see us. Who does God send but a man whose name means God sees? And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he begins to prophesy. He begins to speak truth to the power of the army there. And into that chasm of fear that's probably surrounding all the people there, he speaks the word of the Lord in verse 15. And he says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. And again, I think I say this a lot too. Like, if there's something that you need to write down and put on your mirror so that every day you can see it, those are probably some really good words to do that. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this whatever it is for the battle is not yours, but God's. I need that reminder every single day to know that the things that I'm facing, as vast as they might be, as big as they might be, that I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be discouraged, but that the battle isn't mine. It's God's. I wonder how many times in our lives we either look at an enemy or look at something that's facing us and we we do one of two things. We either say, ooh, that's scary. I don't wanna acknowledge it. I don't wanna touch it. I'm gonna go back to sleep. Or we say, oh yeah, I've got this. Like this is my, oh, I can take this. Like you think about when I was in middle school, the years that I've tried to block from my mind, I, I got into fights all the time and like, You know, middle schoolers are are dumb, I'm sorry, but like, especially boys, they think that they can, like, tackle the world, right? And so they're like, oh, yeah, I've got this guy. Like, guy could be, like, six feet tall, like, you know, jacked, and you're like, oh, yeah, I got this, I got this, oh, yeah, yeah. I think we do that sometimes when we look at the things that we face in life, and we say, oh, oh, hey, God, I got this, just sit back, like, hold my beer, right? Like, yeah, no, That's not the way. That's not the way it goes. God isn't saying, hey, yeah, I'll hold your beer while you do this fight. He's saying, no, you hold mine. (laughs) You say, I've got this. I've got this. And you know, there was such humility in the words of Jehoshaphat there. And he said, no, we don't have the power to do this. We have no power in the face of this army. And I wonder if we follow suit with that. You know, in our culture, and our society, I think it's a badge of honor to be able to say, I've got this. To be able to say, hey, here, like, you wait here. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and take care of this all myself. We don't like to acknowledge that we don't have the power that we don't have the strength, that we don't have the might to do it. You know, the social media face is, hey, it's all going great. It's all going fine. And, you know, I'm not going to show you that I'm scared as crap back here. You know, I'm just going to put this out there for all you to see. And yet God calls us to say, hey, release control. And I wonder if, do we fear that loss of control for ourselves? Do we fear what happens when we aren't the ones leading the army? Because we don't want to relinquish that control. We don't want to say somebody else, my life is in your hands, you've got this. Even God, we don't trust Him enough to say, hey, take this, you fight for me. We still think somehow that we can do a better job and we need to hear Jehaziel's words don't fear don't be discouraged don't fight I've got this God says wherever you are whatever you're facing know that the battle is not yours the battle is the Lord's he's got this and I think the important thing for us to see in this is that it's not a hey God's got this God, hey, peace out. I'm going to go over here while you're working on that battle and just hang out. No. Like, there is involvement. There's not a passive participation in this that God calls us to. He doesn't say, hey, I've got this. Go do your shopping. Do all this other stuff. And then then come back to me and see how I vanquished your enemy. He says, no, no, I want you to come with me. Be part of this. What is it that Jehaziel says? He says, no, they won't have to fight the battle, but come, take up your positions, and stand firm. So it seems kind of weird. If God's got the battle, if if the battle is the Lord's, why are they being invited to come to stand firm to take up their positions? I think we're called to take up our positions and stand firm so that we can have a front row seat to see God's deliverance. God invites us to see what he's going to do. He doesn't say, hey, go for a walk in the woods or whatever. He says, no, come, take your position, stand firm, and then watch what I'm about to do. Watch the deliverance that I'm going to give, that I'm going to show to my people. He wants us to follow his instructions, to not be afraid, to not be discouraged, but to go out and face our enemy. God wants us to be part of this, not to go fighting, but he wants us to be there. You know, I mentioned earlier, Psalm 23, that, that David writes, when you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, I don't know about you, but in my own life, whenever I face An enemy, whether I know that enemy or not, whenever I face a situation or a circumstance that's difficult, I have the greatest ability to be able to create what that situation or that person looks like in my head. You know, it's like a little kid that's struggling with a monster, right? And like, think about, maybe you remember that, I'm I'm dating myself big time here, but that Grover book, right? Like the, uh, the monster at the end of the book. Right? Like Grover was thinking. He had this picture in his head of what that monster was going to look like at the end of the book. And then when he got there, who was it? It was him. And I wonder how many times do we do that in our lives where we create an image of what that monster looks like in our lives. And God's saying, no, I want you to come. I want you to face it. Not so that you can say, I'll take you, but so that you can say, he'll take you. And when we face our enemy, we can look at it head on. And we can realize that, A, either it's it's not as big as we thought it was, it's not as bad as we thought it was, or even if it is as bad as we thought it was, even if it is as terrible as we thought it was, we're not doing it alone. We're not fighting that battle. The battle is the Lord's. He's got it. And so he's going to be the one to deliver us. He will fight for us. And he wants to give us a front row seat. He wants us to take up our positions to watch him win the battle. And we probably won't know what to expect. And and this next part of of this chapter and this account, I love, And starting in verse 20, we see how this all unfolds. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now listen, this isn't the only time in Scripture that this happens, but it seems weird to me. Like hey guys, we're going out to a battle. Let's sing. I mean, it's like the Bible, the musical, right? Like here here we go. We're we're saying, hey, I'm going to put together the biggest, baddest worship choir in the face of our enemy. And instead of going out with swords, instead of going out with spears, I'm going to put a choir together and we're going to sing in the face of this. Remember the people of Jericho? Remember what they did? Like they banged on drums and stuff as they walked around. They didn't conquer that city. They, they did it by praising God and, and they're following suit right here. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Like the, Judah, the people of Judah, they're just sitting back and they're watching chaos ensue because they're killing each other. This is what God's done. He said, hey, all these people of Moab, of Ammon, of Mount Seir, they're coming together and just watch what happens. Chaos is ensuing and they kill each other. And then it continues on when the men, and it's kind of gruesome, but when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. And so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. That's why it's called the valley of Barakah to this day. And Barakah in Hebrew means praise. In the midst of the enemy, in the face of the enemy, before them they have a front row seat and they're praising God. They've put a worship choir together. And they see what happens and there's so much plunder. There's there's so much excess that God's done above and beyond what they could even ask or think or even imagine. And then in verse 29 and 30... I love this part. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. This is how we fight our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. God is fighting that battle. And we don't know how it's going to happen, but we have to trust that he is going to do it. I love the testimony here too. The fear of God came to all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. In, in other words, all the people around and all the kingdoms surrounding them were scared because they knew what God had done. And again, this isn't the first time we see this in Scripture. We see this a number of times where God does something so incredible for his people that everyone's like, back off. I'm not even going to try to engage in battle against them because I know that somebody else fights for them. That's the kind of testimony that I want to see. I would so much rather a testimony like that where someone says, "Wow, John's a really good fighter." No." They say, "John's God is a really good fighter." He goes before him and he fights for him, and John has a front row seat to see how God will provide, and that God will show his deliverance to his people. You know, what would happen, church, if we did that? You know one of the things that has frustrated me so much in the last few years is that, and I, I've, I've quoted you two before, um, Bono wrote these lyrics to a song, and I, I quote him a lot, specifically this song, I think it's called Stand-Up Comedy, he says, stop helping God across the street like a little old lady. And I think to myself, how often do we fight for God, and how pretentious that is of us? right? Like this is the God who created all of these things. It's the God who has walked with his people since the beginning of time. And somehow or another, we think we've got a leg up on him and we can fight for him. And yet I think God says, come join me so you can see and have a front row seat to my deliverance. You can see that I'm fighting for you. What would it look like, church, if we said God's the one whose battle this is? And all I need to do is say, I'm trusting you. I'm standing here. I'm firm. I'm taking my position. And then I'm going to watch you provide deliverance to me. Wouldn't that be a picture of how God would work? So what do we do with all this? Questions to ask ourselves. First one is this. What... Vast and impossible circumstance stands before you. You know, if, if, if you can't think of anything, then God bless you. <laughs> if there's nothing in your life that you feel like is vast and impossible, then um, that's great. But I think some of us in here can think of things that are before us that we're looking at or we're hearing the testimonies of other people, the reports, and we're like, I don't know how I'm going to vanquish that army. So what is it for you? And then what battle are you trying to fight on your own? You know, what is that thing that's before you that you're saying, hey, I've got this. Like It's okay. Like I don't have to have somebody else fight my battles for me. I, I can take this. And then finally, what enemy do you need to face with confidence that the Lord is with you? Look, I, I, I am not naive enough to think that the enemies that we face in our life are all like super easy to walk against. And I think one of the things that we constantly have to be reminded of is that we don't just look to the timeline of from now until we die, but we look from now into eternity to realize what those battles look like. And that sometimes those battles that we fight, it may look like we're surrounded. It may look like we're losing, but we have to look and realize that the long game goes far beyond our own death. It goes into eternity. And that sometimes those battles in the temporal world, they look like they've been lost. But in the eternal world, they've been won. So, Can we ask ourselves these questions? Can we trust that God's inviting us to a front row seat of his deliverance and his provision? And then can we see the testimony of what he's done in our lives as we see him work this all out? Let me pray for us. God, there are battles, there are enemies that I want to fight myself And more often than not, I just don't always trust you that you're going to be able to take it for me. So I confess that to you now. And God, maybe there are others who, who need to confess that to you and say, God, I've tried too hard to take this on my own. But we need to come before you and acknowledge that you are the one whose battle it is. Help us to trust you, God, I pray. Help us to know that you are one who keeps promises. You are one who makes a way where it seems that there is no way. And so may we trust in you, God. Help us, give us the strength as we face enemies. Can we acknowledge that you are the one who has the might, who has the power? and that you give us, you invite us to come and to have a front row seat to see your deliverance and your provision. Help us in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are you relying on to fight your battle? Are you relying on your own might and power, or are you trusting that the battle is the Lord's? If we trust in God, he'll fight for us and invite us to have a front row seat to witness his deliverance and provision, we'll stand strong in the face of our enemy because the battle isn't ours. I hope you can take that truth with you this week. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at thebranchashland@gmail.com. At if you like what you've heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share with your family and friends wherever you listen to podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.